0: Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Now available on Apple Podcasts, Podcast One, Spotify, and anywhere else you get your podcasts.
1: We begin today's meditation
2: with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way.
1: So pick up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in.
2: And deep satisfaction out. (sighs) Ah.
0: Take a treat retreat at McDonald's right now. Get a McCafe iced coffee in any size and any flavor for just 99 cents until 11 a.m. Price of participation may vary.
1: Hey, everybody. Special treat for you today on the Charlie Kirk show, an exclusive sit down interview with Michael Knowles and Senator Ted Cruz. They have a podcast called The Verdict. You're going to really enjoy this conversation. We talk about big tech. We talk about Robert Francis O'Rourke. We talk about the 2020 election and so much more. So type in. Charlie Kirk Show, your podcast provider, hit subscribe, give us a five-star review to make sure you know when future episodes are coming. Email us, freedom at charliekirk.com, freedom at charliekirk.com. If you want a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine, type in Charlie Kirk Show, hit subscribe, give us a five-star review, screenshot it, and email us, freedom at charliekirk.com if you want to win a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine. Also, thank you for those of you that are supporting our program at charliekirk.com slash support. Our monthly supporters, we have a special private video call we are going to be doing very soon for those of you that are monthly supporters of our show ted cruz michael Knowles, here on the charlie kirk show buckle up everybody here we go
2: charlie what you've done is incredible here maybe charlie kirk is on the college campus i want you to know we are lucky to have charlie kirk charlie kirk's running the white house folks I want to thank Charlie. He's an incredible guy. His spirit, his love of this country, he's done an amazing job building one of the most powerful youth organizations ever created, Turning Point USA. We will
1: not embrace the ideas that have destroyed countries, destroyed lives, and we are going to fight for freedom on campuses across the country. That's why we are here. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of The Charlie Kirk Show. I am joined by two special guests. We're very socially distanced. They are the co-hosts of The Verdict. You can download The Verdict podcast. And, of course, it's none other than Senator Ted Cruz and Michael Knowles. You both have joined the podcast before, but welcome together. Welcome, guys. Thanks, Charlie. Good to be with you. Great to be with you, Charlie. Awesome. So it's very strange times that we're living in, to say the least. Uh, Senator, you, have, um, you do all of the representation for myself in Washington, D.C. You, you go to Washington and represent us, so I don't have to. Can you give us a status report of how uh, the nation's capital, uh, which I think is incredibly corrupt and backwards and not serving the interests of the American people, how how are things going there? You're one of the few fighters. You're one of the few people that actually stands for liberty and stands for our country. Uh, Give us a status update uh, from Washington.
2: Well, thank you, Charlie. Look, it's nuts. Uh, 2020, when we started this year, who who had on their bingo card global pandemic Great Depression and race riots. I I mean, mean, this has been, uh, it's been a tough year, I think, for the country. Um, I I keep joking that I I look out the window and wonder if we're going to see frogs and locusts any minute now. Um, And and it's also a divided year. I mean, we're angry that that, that there's, you know, when you see people who are attacking the very foundations of our country, who, who, who are, you know rioting in 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 our cities who 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 are burning police cars and assaulting citizens and and looting and destroying small businesses and murdering police officers and and when you see them attacking you know you look at the issue of statues it it started out with with confederate statues and then very quickly it moved to to gi- attacking George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and James Madison and 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 Lincoln and Ulysses S. Grant, because, you know, Lincoln and Grant were such big confederates. <laughs> uh, and, and then it went nuts. It, it, it truly became the theater of the absurd when, when you had vandals deface a statue of Frederick Douglass, the great abolitionist. And, 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 and all of this is, when, when, when they're doing that, it's not that they're opposed to slavery. It's not that they're opposed to racism. They hate America. And they're they're trying to tear down the very foundations of our country, and and I think there are an awful lot of us across the country who who are desperate for leaders to stand up and unapologetically, proudly defend this nation, mm-hmm. defend our Constitution, defend the Bill of Rights. And it, now, does that mean every aspect of American history is perfect? Of course not. But it has been a journey towards justice and a journey towards better realizing the principles and, and values of equality and justice and rule of law that, that, that America was founded upon.
1: And, and Senator, you're one of the few fighters that actually has done that in the last couple of weeks. I have been very critical of mostly Republicans, just to be honest, yeah. of how silent and how cowardly they have been. And you have been unafraid to speak your mind. I was really, you know, sad for you. It looks like you're not going to be able to vacation in China this summer. Um, (laughs) So you will not be able to go. The Chinese Communist Party, I think, sanctioned you, whatever that means, sanctioning a U.S. senator. (laughs) So I suppose that your podcast will not be listened in the Wuhan region anytime soon. So I I think that it's fair to say that WeChat will not... um, will uh, allow the verdict with Ted Cruz on it. So, Senator, anything, any thoughts on that? And I, I guess that you are now a sanctioned entity of the Chinese Communist Party. Yeah.
2: Yeah, look, it, 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 it's a badge of honor. Um, a, a day and a half ago, I, I, I woke up. My, my, my cell phone is my alarm clock, and the first thing I saw was a whole series of texts that that, that, that over the night while I slept, that the Chinese Communist government had sanctioned me and banned me uh, from, from travel to, 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 to China And and, uh, listen, I despise communists. The Chinese communist government, they are murderers, they are torturers, they have um, one million Uyghurs in concentration camps right now. They have grotesque policies, one-child policy, forced sterilization, forced abortions. They engage in, in suppression, they engage in censorship, they engage in massive theft of American intellectual property. And and their cover-up of the coronavirus pandemic in Wuhan, China, was a direct cause of this global pandemic. The Chinese government is directly responsible for over a half million deaths worldwide. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. In, the, in recent weeks, in the wake of the pandemic, it's suddenly become fashionable in Washington for people to notice that, that the Chinese government is bad. Now Now, I'm glad of it because there have been a lot of my colleagues— Especially Democrats, but also some Republicans who, who, for years, have been singing the praises of China and, and apologizing for China. And, and, and I got to say, I've, I've been in the Senate now eight years, and, and, and I have been leading the fight for eight years. There's a reason China sanctioned me, which is that I've been leading the fight to stand up. I think the single biggest geopolitical threat facing the United States of America over the next century is China and we need to stand up we need to defend ourselves we need to decouple our economy from the Chinese economy we need, we need to address the supply chain and our vulnerability and and and, and we need and, and so i am proud to continue to lead the fight against the threat that is communist
0: China. there's a real downside here though i have to say senator which is that we have the verdict podcast. We have it on YouTube. We have it on Apple Podcasts. We have it on Google Play. We were just about to expand into TikTok. Yeah, I right. had been working on my dance moves for weeks, and now, unfortunately, I suppose we're not. I, I'm another. sorry.
2: I'm unwilling to exchange clothes with you or do any sort of synchronized <laughs> yeah. what, what, whatever. Did Did you see the A Rod one? I don't. Think oh, so. it was okay. Look, when when you're the father of a 12 year old, nine year old, you see some things that are that, that are really. Uh, you see, <laughs> l- l- let's just say it's not high art.
1: Okay, fair enough. <laughs> I-, I was really looking forward to both of you, you know, lip syncing to some 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 song that has come out in the last couple of years. You pick any of them, but I'm sorry, I'm gonna have to, you know, miss that. So, Michael, t- let's take a step back. How did this <laughs> dynamic duo come together? You know, this podcast was number one in all of podcasting. Um, obviously, you know, the senator is busy trying to protect our freedoms and liberties in D.C. You're in L.A. Walk us through the story of this podcast, how it came together, and also just some of the success you guys have had.
0: So we we launched the podcast during impeachment. Uh, The senator was obviously in the impeachment trial at the Capitol all day, and then around 10 or 11 p.m. He would come on over to the studio. We'd record until 2 in the morning. Then I would get to go to sleep. He would get a couple hours, but then he'd have to go back to the Capitol the next day. That was the beginning of the podcast. That's how it launched. It hit number one as I've joked before, did not expect the senator to beat Joe Rogan. Not that I had low expectations for the man, but, you know, it was it was really uh, g- a great news to see that. Showed people were interested in their government. They just wanted a little more substance. But we, we had been talking about doing a show for probably a year. And, you know, the idea here being that a lot of people think that americans are they 're stupid they 're not interested in their government they don 't want to know about their history or their politics and that is just not the case. What we thought is that actually the American people are very interested in their government they just don 't want to be talked down to they don 't want to get five minute little sound bites they want a little bit they want to go a little bit deeper they want some substance and so we we decided the impeachment was a great time to launch the show. And I think if you show just a little bit of respect for the American people and for the audience, they they will show how worthy they are of that respect. And they'll show how uh, how low an opinion I think the mainstream media gatekeepers have had of them for many years.
1: Yeah, I mean, the activist media, which I call them because it's truly there's no difference between the people in the streets that are shouting and burning and looting And someone at Huffington Post that happens to have a verified Twitter account that got hired, the only difference is the person that has the verified Twitter account probably made marginally better decisions towards the senior year in college. That's probably the only (laughs) difference. And they got hired for BuzzFeed. And instead of throwing a brick through a window, they throw a fake article at a senator like that's their vehicle for social change. So I completely agree that the kind of the over the top model of podcasting and being able to actually communicate directly with your target audience is the way that media is going. And that's exactly why the tech companies are trying to shut us all down. And so, Senator, I want to ask you about this because I'm a conservative free market capitalist. Mm -hmm. Uh, You and I have talked about this at length. I recently was rereading the Federalist Papers, and the Founding Fathers warned us about centralized power, and they warned us about tyranny. And the, the greatest threat that they could think that would infringe on freedoms and liberties would be government. Now, there's an argument to be made that some of these private companies actually have more power than the federal government, that Google could be more yes. power, powerful than certain agencies of government. Is there an argument to be made that the instruments of government should be used to maybe regulate or at least ensure fairness on some of these platforms? I know it's an uncomfortable conversation for some conservatives. I'd love to get your take on it.
2: Yeah, I, I think it is an enormous challenge, an enormous problem, and, 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 and it's one that that, that I've been... So I've chaired multiple hearings in the Senate on the issue of big tech censorship. I, I think big tech censorship is the single greatest threat to free speech in America, and I think it's the single greatest threat to democracy in America. And and, and it's a complicated issue, so let's, let's, let's break it down into a couple of pieces. And by the way, this is something we've done on the Verdict Podcast multiple times, is, is, is drilled down into the details of this, because this... Uh, Let's start with the problem and then let's address the solution, because the solution you rightly raise raises some challenging questions, particularly for those of us that believe in the free market. But let's start with the problem. There have always been biased journalists. From from the beginning of, from the very first journalist who was carving words into a stone tablet, there were biased journalists. Uh, What's different about big tech is the amalgamation of power that they have is on a scale and scope that has never been seen throughout human history. Google is more powerful than any company has been in the history of humanity. And and it is is ubiquitous. It is everywhere. But it is also invisible. So it's one thing. Look, if you read the New York Times, you can tell they're a shrill leftist propaganda rag. You can see it on the face. The problem with, with social media and big tech censorship is they do it invisibly. So if they decide... We don't like what Charlie Kirk is saying. And, and you post on social media, it can just disappear in the ether. And you have no idea when you post something on Twitter, when you post something on Facebook, you have no idea how many of the people who've said, I want to follow Charlie Kirk. I want to see what he has to say. You have no idea what percentage of those people actually see what you have to say. They can just invisibly shadow ban you. Even more insidious, they can curate your feed so that the only things you see are what they want you to see. And you, you're completely unaware of this. It, it, it is hidden. And and we've got now over 70% of Americans get their news from social media, from, from, from the little computer we all carry in our pocket called our phone. That problem is massive. and And big tech in recent years has gotten more and more brazen. They're more and more open about what they're doing. They're actively censoring conservatives, they're silencing views they disagree with and 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 they're promoting views they agree with. Things like the Black Lives Matter rioters and vandals they're promoting like crazy and that's dangerous. So then what do you do about it? Let's start with what we don't want. Nobody wants a government speech police. No one wants the federal government saying okay this speech is okay, this speech is not. That would be a disaster. That, but that doesn't mean there are no remedies. And so I've laid out three potential remedies that Congress can, can, can consider and the federal government can consider to respond to the blatant censorship. Number one is what's called Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which is Congress, a couple of decades ago, gave big tech a, a special immunity from liability, an immunity from liability nobody else enjoys, Um, And it's a special benefit. It's a special privilege given to big tech. And the reason for it is Congress believed that that social media, the Internet, would be neutral public fora. In other words, that that it wasn't fair to sue Facebook for a comment that was made on Facebook if it's a third-party user. It's not Facebook speaking. It's just whoever happens to be posting speaking. That was Congress's reasoning. It's a neutral public forum, so they should be immune from liability. Well, what's happened, they've changed their mind. They're not neutral anymore. They're now biased. They're censoring. And if they're not going to be neutral public forum, there's no reason on earth they should get a special immunity from liability from Congress. That's, that's lever number one. Lever number two is the antitrust laws. It has long been against the law for monopolies to abuse their monopoly position. By any measure, big tech is bigger, richer, more powerful, has more power and control than AT&T was mm-hmm. when it was broken up under the monopoly laws, then the, it's bigger and more powerful than U.S. Steel was, as they say in, uh, in, in The Godfather. We're bigger than U.S. Steel. <laughs> well, they're way bigger than U.S. Steel, and, and, and the, the antitrust laws are a, a serious tool to treat this abuse of power. And then the third avenue uh, sounds in, in, in breach of contract or yep. consumer fraud and deception and, and uh, stated pretty simply. When you sign up for a social media account, the implicit promise, the contract between the consumer and the social media, the big tech company implicitly is if you choose to follow someone, you'll see what they have to say. And if they choose to follow you, they'll see what you have to say we now know that promise is a lie, that they are deceiving consumers, that if they disagree with your views, it doesn't matter that people say, Mm -hmm. I want to hear Charlie Kirk. It doesn't matter that people say, I want to hear the verdict podcast. If big tech disagrees, they silence you. So there are real tools we could use to protect free speech. And given the power of big tech, I think it's really important that we use them.
1: Michael, any thoughts on that?
0: Uh, Yes, I think, uh, you know, the senator just laid out three distinct legal avenues at our disposal. And one thing we've talked about a lot on verdict is, which one of these should we pursue? The answer is yes. The answer is all of them. I know very often, Charlie, how many times have you talked to conservatives where they get hung up on all the minutiae of these details? And, well, I like this one, but I don't like this one. And we've got to hold ourselves to rules that our opponents aren't playing by. We've got to tie one hand behind our backs and jump up and down on a pogo stick. And the, the answer is we have a real goal here. We know that big tech is abusing its power. We know that they are, they are violating the law, as we can see plainly in front of us. And that needs to be taken care of using all of the available means before us.
1: Yeah, and what I find so troubling is the amount of conservative think tanks that are funded yeah. directly by big tech. And yeah. I'm not going to say any names. You guys know who they are. And these, tech, these big conservative think tanks for years, Senator, you and I grew up reading some of their policy. Yeah. P- papers yep. and now you read what they have to say on big tech, and it comes out they're getting seven-figure annual contributions. Something tells me that Google is not writing a check to that think tank because they love F.A. Hayek. Okay, it's not happening. Okay, yeah. they're not writing a check <laughs> yeah. to that think tank because they're so moved by Milton Friedman's in you know pencil speech. They're writing that check because they're getting a piece of policy paper that can be distributed in center-right circles. Yeah. To almost create a paralysis amongst the conservative movement so that they can create almost a super governmental structure in Silicon Valley. And, And I have waited patiently for a competitor to rise up against these companies. And I know there's Parler and all this. It's just not it's not even close to the same power or the same funding or the same amount of sophistication. That Google and Facebook have. I mean, Google is in the fiber business, they're in the medical business, yep, they're in. Yep. It, it, it's beyond just social media, it's search engine optimization, all of it. And you mentioned the antitrust laws. The issue is that the antitrust laws were written for a completely different type of company where you're yeah. actually front facing yeah. selling a product where you could price gouge. And so, what they'll do in the Sherman Antitrust Act is a lot of these tech companies will try to hide behind. The idea that, well, we don't really charge anything. Well, if you can't figure out what they're charging, they're selling you. OK, they're selling you to the a potential vendor and they're selling all of your right. your data around it. And so here's my question, Senator, when it comes to this. I'm cynical because I see a lot of your Republican colleagues that are bought and paid for by the tech companies. They just are. They get huge money from lobbyists that represent Google and Facebook yep. and these other companies. We're talking forty, fifty million million, $50 million a year. And by the way, Google will spend about $38 million a year on government affairs. They laugh at how little money they have to spend on how much they get back in return. They That's say, billions. yeah, they like, oh my goodness, we get it's a rounding error for them. Do you think that we can get congressional action, real congressional action on this? Or is this going to be another issue like on immigration where you have the weak Republicans and the entire corrupt Democrat Party that just try to sell our country out.
2: Um, All right, there are lots of elements of your question. Let's go in reverse order. Sadly, the last piece, probably, the the Democrats are going to be prostitutes for big tech, and many of the Republicans are weak winds, uh, weak at blowing in the wind. Um, Let's loop back to where you started. You're exactly right. Much of of conservative ink, of the sort of professional conservative think tanks and free market think tanks the, the, this issue is actually very closely connected to where we started the conversation with China, just like China. big tech gets people addicted to suckling at the teat of cash and and, and it is it, it, it is buying subservience it is buying it cheap yes and, and 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 you know by the way, anytime someone says it's not about the money it's about the yeah. money <laughs> and and, and Listen, when it comes to conservatives or libertarians, and I love libertarians, but but you get some of the folks that are getting paid a whole lot to, to argue, and it's an easy argument, well, hey, they're private companies, they're businesses. Let me point out, any principled conservative, anyone who understands free markets, you're not an unabashed prostitute for big business. Yeah. Uh, you, you believe in small businesses and entrepreneurs, and big business loves big government. Big business gets in bed with big government. Monopolies have always existed in totalitarian and socialist uh, economies. And, and, and so the notion that, well, because Google is a private company, there are no rules that apply to it, that is not conservative. It's not libertarian. Yes. It, it is destructive. And, and so, so how do we fix it? Um, There are a couple of elements. One is just sunshine. And part of the reason I've chaired multiple hearings. So the left makes arguments. One of the arguments they make is, and one of the arguments big tech makes, is there's no evidence of censorship. And and this is like the old example of the kid who kills his parents and then pleads the mercy of the court because he's an orphan. It's true. There are not objective data that demonstrate censorship. Why? Because big tech has all the data. It won't answer any questions. It has no transparency, no accountability. So I've asked repeatedly, I've, I've asked repeatedly in writing and orally, simple questions, like I'll give an example of questions that I've asked every big tech company. In 2018, the last election cycle, how many posts from Republican candidates from office did you ban or shadow ban and throttle their coverage? How many posts from Democratic candidates from office did you ban or shadow ban and throttle their coverage? Now, there is an objective answer. Facebook knows the number. It is a specific number, 622, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. I don't know. You don't know because you know what they say when you ask them, go jump in a lake. I won't answer your your question. They just, they won't answer. And so you can point to lots of examples, anecdotes. Now, it's never satisfying to argue by anecdote. But the reason all you have is anecdotes is because they won't release. They're a black box. So so the way I've tried to to, to solve it, I'm not confident about Congress passing legislation on this. But here's what could be done. So in the last three and a half years, I have spoken to, to damn near every person in the Trump administration who would listen to me on this. So I've spoken to the president multiple times. I've spoken to the vice president. I've spoken to the attorney general, both this attorney general and the prior attorney general. I've spoken to the deputy attorney general about going after Big Tech. I've spoken to the head of the antitrust division about going after Big Tech. I've spoken to the chairman of the Federal Trade Commission about it. I've spoken to the commissioners of the FTC about it. I've spoken to the general counsel of the FTC about it. I've spoken to the chairman of the FCC about it. Now, we saw The Trump administration come out with an executive order on this just a few months ago. That was great. It was a very positive step Mm -hmm. in the right direction. I've been pushing three years for it to happen. One of the challenges, and, and, and you referenced this when you said the Sherman Antitrust Law was not written to solve this problem. One of the challenges, say, within DOJ, the Department of Justice, is you have lots of different silos that think about this problem within their narrow world. And what I've urged folks is is, look you need to think cross cross dimensionally and across disciplines that that's why I've laid out multiple theories of law because this is a new challenge this monopoly on information and news and communication it's never happened before and and, and so we had actually on the verdict podcast one of our guests in, in one of the most recent shows we had was Bill Barr the attorney general and 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 You know, it's interesting. You watch Barr in a media interview. They're typically fairly brief. The media interview is usually some hostile lefty, and Barr's a very good lawyer. He's pretty buttoned down. He gives disciplined answers. What was fun about this podcast is is Barr and I have been friends for 25 years. And, and so we spent a half hour, I'm not trying to play gotcha with him, I'm just talking and hanging out with him. We spent a lot of time talking about big tech censorship, and this was an issue that in the podcast we pressed quite a bit, uh, but it's interesting also the comments to the podcast, like a lot of people were like, wow, Barr is really funny, yeah. <laughs> and you don't see that, but he's got this wicked sardonic, he's got a very dry sense of humor. And I think my favorite moment of the podcast, Michael knows where I'm going, is, is, is I said, look, Barr has shown real courage to charge forward for rule of law with the media coming after him like, like the mob with, with pitchforks and torches at the end of Frankenstein. They're coming after Barr like that, and I used an analogy. I said, Bill Barr, Bill, you are the honey badger. <laughs> and, and I got to admit, I didn't think like that was just sort of off the cuff. I didn't think Bill would have any idea what the you honey badger. I think it would just go was. right over the head, right? He knew exactly what it was, and he it, and it was. Right. I was actually a little astonished, and it's like you know, honey badger don't care. <laughs> That's right, yeah. and it was. It's my favorite moment where he's. I mean, he was doubled over laughing. It was a relief actually to know
0: that the AG who is looking into these issues is at least familiar with YouTube. Seems like he's familiar
1: with a lot of these other tech <laughs> no, platforms my, my, too. My favorite is at, the, at one of the hearings. I think the senator. Uh, that you were hosting, as one of one of your colleagues said, uh, Mr. Zuckerberg, can you unlock my phone? Because no, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I, I don't think that was or or Mr. Zuckerberg, the the Facebook that my grandkids on. Can't, what the hell is this thing? Like you know, we were trying. To, you know, I, I'm, I'm half kidding, of course. When you, you know, Mark Zuckerberg testified, and yeah. you know, you, you were the youngest person on the the committee by half, right? And you had and no offense to your colleagues; they didn't, they didn't know what the heck they were asking Mark Zuckerberg. Right? Half of them, but I think and, actually, and there, go ahead, Michael. Well, please.
0: There's, there's a bit a bit of a philosophical issue here too, which is I, I think this this problem that conservatives have when looking at tech is one of being a little out of date because we're, we're arguing about this and we say well we don't want to stop a private company from doing whatever they want to do there is nothing conservative about letting a handful of Silicon Valley oligarchs control the flow of information around the Internet, control our public square, particularly when it's based on a fraud Mm -hmm. for the the user agreements of these platforms and it's based on uh, uh, receiving protection from liability in laws where they no longer deserve that protection from liability.
1: And so you mentioned the libertarians, Senator, and I'm familiar with a lot of their literature and I can sympathize with it, but it all comes down to they say well The private company is different because people can engage and interact voluntarily. And first of all, I don't sympathize with that argument anymore because you literally have Google inside of classrooms all across the country that in order to go to school and get educated, you have to use Google or use Facebook products. That's number one. Number two, what really concerns people in the libertarian community is the threat of liberty. And and you look at, you know, Basiat's writing in, on, in the law, it's the idea that you have natural rights articulated by John Locke previously. We all agree with that. But what happens if a private company is infringing on natural rights and does so without you knowing, as you said, Senator, and there's no way to get them to stop doing it? And, in fact, they're actually more powerful than the very government that's supposed to represent us. And, and this I is know. a – and so we have to ask ourselves the question. We are limited government people, but we're actually limited – power and authoritarian and limited tyranny people? And what happens when something else is actually more tyrannical than the government? And, and that, is, that is a new philosophical direction that's only made possible because of artificial intelligence and technology and so on and so forth.
2: Well, and, and big tech is doing this deliberately, and they're getting worse. Um, one, of the, one of the things we talked about at one of the hearings I chaired uh, is, is a document that Google prepared. And it's a, it's a PowerPoint that, that, that drafted by Google. It is entitled The Good Censor. It's about a 50-page PowerPoint. And it describes how the old model of the Internet, the one when we all started on the Internet, was what they described as the laissez-faire free speech model. By the way, if you're a libertarian, you should like the laissez-faire free speech model. The second model they described, in their words, was the European-style censorship model. <laughs> and they identified that big tech has made a decision to shift from laissez-faire free speech to European-style censorship, and they identified four companies, Google, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. They actually had their symbols on that side of European-style censorship, and it's a conscious decision. And, and, and in one of the hearings I chaired, we heard testimony uh, from Dr. Robert Epstein that was very, mm-hmm. very interesting and, and deeply concerning. So Epstein, he's an academic. He's a psychologist. He used to be the, the editor of Psychology Today. So he's a respected academic. And, and interestingly enough, he's not a conservative. He, he, is, he is a liberal Democrat. He voted for Hillary Clinton, and he actively supported Hillary Clinton. He advocated for her. So Dr. Epstein has done, to my knowledge, the only empirical work on, on, on Google's uh, search outcomes and biased algorithms. There are a couple of ways that, that, that Google engages in, in rampant manipulation. One is the autocomplete. Hmm. If, if you start typing in a few words, you start typing in
1: Donald, Donald Trump, Trump and, I, and it fills in all place. sorts of bad things. Yeah. Yeah.
2: You start, start typing in Hillary Clinton or Joe Biden, and it fills in all sorts of good things. And, and what, what, what Dr. Epstein found is that it has a massive impact on 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 people's decision making and how they vote in elections another example is you search what are the first one two three four five what's the first page of results and what would happen in 2016 and he studied the 2016 election as you typed in hillary clinton and you got positive stories you typed in donald trump and you got negative stories people tend to click on the first story by the way the first story is much more powerful than the second and it goes down dramatically as you go down the order of search results his empirical research, Dr. Epstein concluded that in 2016, Google's manipulated search outcome shifted 2.6 million votes to the Democrats in 2016. And even though he voted for Hillary Clinton, he was horrified at these big tech gazillionaires having that power. And he also testified that big tech has gotten more egregious and that in 2020, they could shift 15 million votes to the Democrats. If you care about a free election, letting a handful of billionaires in Silicon Valley behave like Colossus, silence every voice that believes in liberty and advance every voice that wants to tear down America, that is incredibly dangerous for anything like free elections.
1: Well, and Google just announced they are going to fund 100 million dollars to BLM Inc. That's what I call it. I don't even say the phrase because I want to make sure when I say something critical, it's separate than a phrase that is in itself true. BLM Inc. and racial justice. So you have Google. They have so much profit that they are putting a nine-figure investment into divisive, left-wing, postmodern-type content on their platform. They want Section 230 immunity. Hold on a second. If you're going to do that, Then not so fast. And so I I, want to also talk about the the election here uh, coming in a couple months. As you said, Senator, we had a year that none of us could have predicted. Uh, We knew that the left was going to try things that they've never tried before. And you mentioned it, Michael. We had impeachment, which would have been the number one headline news. You know, a president gets impeached and acquitted in the Senate. We almost go to war with Iran. Remember that whole news cycle in January? Charlie,
0: (laughs) until you reminded me of that... I actually had forgotten that for what it was, it a week we were told we were on the verge of World War III. That's right. Now yes. nobody Wait, even remembers.
2: Are, are you telling me the president killed the world's biggest terrorist, General Soleimani, who had, who had pers- was directly responsible for murdering over six hundred and three U.S. servicemen and women? That can't possibly be true. I would have read something about it if that had happened. You would have
0: seen it on network news. I think. I, you would think yeah, so. that's just
1: not possible. I suppose. Right. The very same general that was passed up for. Um, for killing, for lack of a better term, uh, by Barack Obama and Joe Biden's administration on multiple occasions. Yes, that would be the one. And so, so we <laughs> go through the virus, we go through the lockdowns, and Michael, you and I talked about this at length. I was a huge critic of the lockdowns yeah. still am Me too. and senator full disclosure i'm disappointed with the governor in texas with what he's been doing recently we can go I into understand. that and you know we are now in a moment where we're not really sure even if we're going to have a convention if we're ensure, yeah. sure what the political you know ecosystem looks like michael you do this every single day you listen to a lot of different people hosting for radio and you have a good kind of understanding of the conservative base what where are we going wrong because it feels like in some ways we as conservatives and the Republican Party, and I dis- distinguish the two because those are two completely different things, We've, we don't really have an ethos right now. And in 16, we had an ethos. In 12, we didn't. In 08, we didn't. Where, where, what is the message that is going to get conservatives elected and the Republican Party to victory and hopefully Donald Trump reelected?
0: Uh, Very often what's happening right now is people are pretending that a political argument is really a scientific argument. And you've seen the exploitation of so-called science, capital S with a trademark over the E, in the name of of decisions that are patently political. And I think this new round of lockdowns coincidentally from people who very much would like the president not to be reelected is good evidence of that. That's one issue here, that the, the right conservatives tend to mistake the political arguments for science and science for politics. So I think we're playing a game... Uh, on the left's terms. We're playing sincerely. We're trying to come to a middle ground. We're trying to be conciliatory. We're trying to behave responsibly, whether it's saying wear a mask in certain places or practice certain kinds of social distancing, whatever. We want to do that responsibly, but but we're we're not able to have that conversation because on the backdrop here, if if you may have forgotten this, is this presidential election. The left is playing this entirely politically. There were over 1,000 public health experts who signed a letter that said that if you protest the lockdowns, that will exacerbate the virus. And if you protest for a leftist cause, that will actually slow the spread of the that virus. That is the wokest virus. It's a very virus.
1: woke virus. Uh, you and I But it is the wokest it virus is. ever, where if you happen to protest the right cause, the virus comes yes. up and says, I'm not going to infect you. In fact that's right I stand in solidarity you keep going comrade and it will go to the lockdown rally and they'll go infect all of them or church that's what I think and you know
0: these that's right you're allowed to go to a church to attack it but you're not allowed to go that's and right. But there
2: is a reason it's the Wuhan virus which means it's a communist that's that is so, true so you would it's, ex- it's a fellow traveler <laughs> <laughs> you know
0: this this problem though is I think what, what conservatives we think that we can have a nuanced complex nice rational debate here In the age of people tearing down statues, setting cities on fire, looting buildings in the name of social justice, that is not the time that you're going to get the most nuanced, rational, academic discussion. This is a campaign, and I think that uh, unless we wake up to the fact that it's a campaign, November 3rd is going to come
1: around, and it's going to be too late before we realize it. Well, so, Senator, you won in 2018 against a uh, fake Hispanic Irishman from El Paso, Robert Francis (laughs) O'Rourke. (laughs) <laughs> who has a very bizarre fascination of taking other people's weapons away and keeping borders open. I, I don't want to have to psychoanalyze Robert Francis O'Rourke here on The Verdict and Charlie Kirk show uh, partnership here, but I do want to get your opinion on Texas and electoral trends. You won in Texas. Yeah. I think you would agree that your race was closer than would have been projected, probably uh, from sure. the outside, and you, and I was so thrilled to see you win. And so can, can you just talk about what you're seeing on the ground? What's what going to take for the president to win? A recent poll came out that showed... I don't know if I believe this, Joe Biden up in Texas or tied in Texas or down one, something like that. I'd love to hear what your opinion is of trends nationally, politically.
2: Yeah. Look, I think Texas is in play. Um, and and if you look at nationally what's going on, so, so so part of the media narrative, like on so many other things, is completely wrong. So, so, so the media narrative as to why Texas is in play is because of the growing Hispanic population and because of, of uh, of racial and ethnic divides. That's not true. If you look at, at, at every election I've had in Texas, I've won over 40% of the Hispanic vote. And I've done so campaigning for securing the border, building the wall, stopping amnesty, supporting rule of law. That's not the challenge in Texas. The, the challenge in Texas, if you look across the country, there are two broad demographic and political waves going on. On the one hand, on the positive side, Blue collar workers are moving right. Yep. Uh, steel workers, truck drivers, cops, firefighters. That is moving Midwestern states more Republican. Uh, that's moving states like Ohio, like Pennsylvania, like Wisconsin, like Michigan, all Republican. Every one of those, Donald Trump won in 2016. Minnesota, Trump came within a point of winning. Mm-hmm. That is blue-collar workers who the Democratic Party have abandoned, moving towards the Republican Party. The the countervailing political movement is suburban voters, and in particular suburban women, yeah. are moving left, and, and and they don't like Donald J. Trump. I mean, it, it it is there is a real problem in the suburbs. That means that heavily suburban states, like Georgia. Yep like Texas, like Arizona, where you are right now. Arizona is a giant suburb.
1: Mm-hmm. It's all Maricopa and, and th- County, the whole state. <laughs> yeah.
2: And, and those voters ha- have moved significantly left. You look at our—so Texas, let's talk about the 2018 election against Beto O'Rourke. Beto raised over $80 million. He outspent my campaign three to one. To give you a sense of what that means on the ground— and and you are a, a wonderful organizer, so you can appreciate this. My campaign had eighteen paid campaign staffers. Eighteen, one eight. The O'Rourke campaign had eight hundred and five.
1: Oh I mean, wow. that, 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 that's it's the difference. That's a presidential operation in all the states.
2: I, it was the most expensive U.S. Senate race in hard money in the history of the United States. That's how much they wanted to take me out. Wow. And they more than doubled Democratic turnout. This is where you got to pause and understand this is real and it's dangerous. They took Democratic turnout from 1.8 million all the way up to 4 million. That is crazy and that's hard to do. Now, the reason we won, we turned out 4.2 million Republicans. And 0.2 was the whole margin. So in 2020, listen, I believe Donald Trump's going to win Texas, uh, but every leftist in the state is going to show up because they hate him. They will yeah. crawl over broken glass. And, and and if we diminish that threat, if we underestimate that threat, that's how we lose the country, which means we got to get everyone else to show up. Yeah.
1: And, and so, so Michael, to piggyback off of that, and, and Senator, we're so thrilled you won, I have to say. And I, I just, we're huge fans of yours, and we appreciate what you do for our country. And, as I say that, I have equal amount of repulsion for your opponent. I just there's some people that are in the political system that I think are just so repugnant, and that would be Robert Francis O'Rourke. So it was, an, it was a very passionate race to see to make sure that you came across the finish line. And right there, by is, the way, a
2: quick aside: when when, when Beto launched his uh, uh, presidential campaign, he launched it in El Paso, and the AP reported uh, that, he, that he gave part of his announcement speech in his native tongue. Gaelic. Which I, 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 that's exactly what I tweeted. I said, wow, I've never seen a political speech in Gaelic. And and it really is, it's the absurdity of the
1: modern left. Oh well, I mean, but it's also there, there's a deeper philosophical question there, which is he he is so he's pandering. I think it's insulting to Hispanic voters, and I talked to a lot of Hispanic people that think it's incredibly insulting. He's like, "Well, my nanny or something called me Beta when I grew up." Well, if she called you the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, would you going to say that on your campaign sign? I mean, that's <laughs> ridiculous. So, Michael, um, wh- what where are Republicans going wrong right now?
0: So the, the Republicans are going wrong we, in that. We have like
1: three, four hours. I time. know. Yeah, Charlie,
0: running? there's no it's, way we're going to be able to fit all got, of this. Right? So. <laughs> <laughs> where, where aren't they going wrong? You know, in Republicans' defense, I've been very critical of Republicans in recent weeks, but in their defense, they've got everything working against them. I, I have... Often pointed out when the left complains about institutional oppression, the left controls every major institution. The mainstream media, Hollywood, big tech, higher education, lower education, administrative government, they control all of them. So if there is institutional oppression, would seem to me it would be the left's fault, not the right's fault. They've got all of this working against them at the same time, and they're going to turn it up. They're going to gin it up every single day until November 3rd because so much of this is about the election. So I understand that. I think what Republicans are trying to do, we've talked a lot on the Verdict podcast about the timidity of many elected Republicans, on how how afraid many elected Republicans are of, of losing their positions and losing nice blurbs in the mainstream media. So what they want to do is stand in the middle of the road. They want to try to play both sides and go wishy-washy. And the fact of the matter is, especially at a time like this, if you stand in the middle of the road, you are going to get hit by a truck. The, The stakes are only going to increase day by day. We are now at the point where we're not just talking fighting over tax rates or something. We're fighting over George Washington being pulled down off of his... Pedestal in the American mind. We are fighting over our very country. Which side of that battle are you going to stand on? Pick a side and fight.
1: Well, and it's not a policy debate. And this is something that I talk to certain members of Congress and Senator. You get this. This is a culture war, and a culture war. There are winners and losers. It's not. It's not a bill where you can place an amendment or you can kill it in the committee or you can, you know, say, oh, we're going to vote on it next year. It's either you have a country. Or you don't have a country. And I wrote a piece and I I spoke to the president about this and I was so thrilled about his Mount Rushmore speech. I think it was the best speech of his entire presidency where basically he said, we need to get our kids. I I
2: agree with that. That, 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 Yes.
1: Yeah. We need to get our kids to love America again. And the more you talk about suburban voters, I believe a lot of suburban women voters in particular are repulsed by the growing anarchy and indoctrination that's happening in our schools and the disorder and the disunity and the breakdown of the rule of law i think that is a really winning a phenomenally winning issue if we articulate it correctly where we are not going to win though is where certain senators one from indiana all of a sudden says nice things about blm inc and all of a sudden wants to get on the right side of you know police immunity or, or whatever issue that was i think that michael you've said this before Either it was at Politicon and it was a call all the way back to Phyllis Schlafly. People want a choice, not an echo right now. I really believe that. And the more that we are able to say, here are the dividing lines. We do believe that America is the greatest country ever to exist in the history of the world. We do believe that the Constitution is the greatest political document ever written. We have a history to be proud of that America has made mistakes, but we're not a mistake. Prove us wrong. Well,
0: Charlie, you 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 bring up this Phyllis Schlafly point. We could also go to Ronald Reagan's point, which is Ronald Reagan was asked about his strategy on the Cold War. He said, "My strategy is simple: we win, we win, you lose." You lose. And and when we're talking about this battle for the soul of America, for American history, for all the things we cherish, my strategy is simple: we win
1: and you lose. And, 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 and in order to win, that means you have to play offense and set the terms of engagement. I think the president is at yeah. his best when he's an offensive political player, when he actually sets yep. the tone. And I think the winning issue here is what is what is America? And unfortunately, that's now has to that now has to be a ballot referendum issue for probably the first time in our nation's history when you think about it. Uh, in, in 16, it was sort of that way. But you now have, up or down, the way you vote, It's going to be I either think America is a beautiful, benevolent, generous country that's worthy of our preservation or this is all a mistake. It's a corrosive rot. We should just fundamentally destroy it. And I'm really ashamed to be in this country. And I hate to put it in those very simple terms, but that's really where it is. Senator, I'll get your thoughts on that.
2: Yeah, look, I, I, I think you are absolutely right what the stakes are in, in, in this election. And, and in terms of what Republicans need to do, number one, we need to stand up and fight. Stand up and fight unapologetically for America, for our founding principles, for, for the greatness of this nation. Hands down, the, 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 the best characteristic of President Trump is that he's got a backbone. And he's willing to make decisions that most Republicans are too scared of their own shadow to make. And, and the last four years, I've worked very, very closely with the president. And, 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 and the policies that have been enacted have been enormously beneficial. Now, at the same time, we've got to engage in in winning people's hearts and minds, in, 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 in winning the argument. Margaret Thatcher said, first you win the argument, then you win the yep. vote. And And, you know, Charlie, I will say... You're you and I have known each other a long time. Uh, the work you've done with Turning Point USA. I remember sitting down at at, at, at tables when Turning Point USA was just kind of an idea, yep. and and frankly, it was an idea that the Republican graybeards laughed at you and said, <laughs> "Oh, come on, young people, they're they're the white whale. They're never going to do anything. They're distracted. They don't they don't mm-hmm. care." And you had a vision, and you had a vision of organizing and engaging. And, and over the years, I mean, I've spoken at, at over, probably over a dozen That's Turning right. Point events with, with young people who, who love liberty. I, things like, all right, y'all's T-shirts, socialism sh- sucks. Mm-hmm. L- like it is, if you were to pick two words right at the heart of a message, it's great. But what we've got to engage, it's why podcasts, why your podcast matter, it's, it's why what we're doing on Verd- Verdict, I, I Think and Believe Matters. We've got to arm people with the information, the great debate between socialism and free enterprise. Too many people don't know the difference between the two, don't understand. And, and if you look at, all right, let's talk for a minute about some of the suburban voters. You're right that the angry riots, that, that, that the burning and the violence, that's scary. And, and, and the Democrats have gotten so extreme and so radical that, 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 that it should be driving voters in droves to vote Republican. Now, the countervailing side and the danger is, is, look, most people, and and especially suburban female voters, they don't wanna vote for someone they think is a scary, violent racist. And and, and that's sort of the Democrats, they go to it over and over and over again, bigot racist, bigot racist, and, and the tone, if they scare people enough, that's their strategy to win. And, and it's something where we need to engage, and, and most Republicans are terrified of race. They're terrified mm-hmm. of addressing racial issues. As you know, and, I, and I've seen some of my favorite videos of you, are, are confronting these, these ignorant, angry mobs and confronting them, number one, with a smile. You're not yelling and screaming at them, uh, but you're confronting them with facts. And, and the facts are, number one, the Democratic Party's history on race is utterly abominable disgraceful embarrassing and they should bow their heads in shame it was democrats who founded the kkk it was democrats who wrote jim crow it it was democrats who put in place separate but equal and segregated schools it was democrats who filibustered the civil rights acts and 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 my party your party the republican party we were founded to end slavery abraham lincoln was our first president and Democrats like to say, well, okay, but that was ancient history. What about now? All right, what about now? The sitting governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam, a Democrat, had on his damn medical school yearbook page a picture of a guy dressed as a Klansman. And his first defense, by the way, the first day, which the New York Times and all the media has conveniently forgotten about, was a guy as a Klansman, a guy in blackface. He said, yeah, I could have been one of those two. He didn't specify which one. So so they're one of two scenarios. Either Ralph Northam said... Either that was a picture of Democrat Ralph Northam dressed as a Klansman. That's one possibility. Or the second possibility is it isn't actually him, but he said, you know, for my yearbook page... This is what what I want to remember. (laughs) ...what captures me, medical school, and what I stand for more than anything else is some jackass in a white sheet dressed as a Klansman. And if you can't say... Categorically, unequivocally, I've never in my life dressed as a Klansman. That is the Democratic governor That's of Virginia. Right. And so when it comes to race, we should be, look, I'm proud to defend equal rights for every American. But, but too many Republicans don't yes. know our facts, don't know our history, and, and, and are scared, ooh, don't call me a bigot. Look, yeah. don't be a bigot. And, and defend equal rights yes. and equal justice. And by the way, Black Lives Matter, the radical Marxists who run that organization, what they are advocating for, a Marxist overthrow of the United States government and abolishing the police de- departments of, of our country would result in more murders, more rapes, more assaults, and it would kill black lives. Those leftists are arguing for more dead African Americans, more dead Hispanics, more dead Americans. And if we're afraid of engaging and saying, look, America, we is the most extraordinary country in the history of the world. We've got to engage on that terrain of ideas. You're right. The Mount Rushmore speech was fabulous, but we got to get it out to people because frankly, you and I both read the New York Times and the Washington Post that described it as dark and divisive. And, And we've got to get around the media and straight to the people.
1: Senator, what you just articulated, if we had 54 senators that said exactly what you just said, this wouldn't even be an issue. If we had 10 senators that said what you just said, this wouldn't be an issue. They say, well, how do I fight? That's how you fight. You get righteously indignant towards the radical left that wants to destroy our country. Michael, we have a hard stop, I know. Any closing thoughts going into November? What is your prediction? What are you seeing and hearing? I know we got about 90 seconds out.
0: We've got 90 seconds. I can sum it up in, I think, one sentence. It's up to us. It's up to us. What what the media, what the and I, I described the media and the Democratic Party and the left, they're all the same thing. What they tried to do in 2016 is what they're trying to do now. They're trying to tell you that it's inevitable. It's inevitable that the Democrats win. They're going to win the White House. They're going to win the Senate. They're going to win everything. Oh, you silly Republicans. Don't even show up to vote. Don't even leave your homes. And it's a lie. They lie like that all the time. They want to tell you, you have no power. You have no say in your government. You have no ability to access this sort of information. Yes, you can, but it's up to you. Are you are you willing to take that opportunity? Are you willing to exercise your your power and your responsibility as a U.S. citizen, or are you going to roll over? I sure hope it's the former, but we're free to choose.
2: And Michael, let me ask you a question: If listeners, if viewers, want to engage and hear more about the verdict podcast, hear more about the the, the, the principles that that underlie our Constitution, our Bill of Rights, hear more about the inside, yeah. about the the battles in the Senate and the cloakroom, and what's going on to save this country. How do they do that? If you if if you want to actually do that.
0: Well, this is is the big part, and I'm I'm so glad you asked that question, (laughs) Senator. You can go to verdictpodcast.com. You can go subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, YouTube, everywhere, Spotify. Until we get shut down, we're going to be on as many places as possible, because the left allows uh, their adherents, their followers, to be armed with facts, with arguments, with some clarity of vision. We are trying to offer that on the Verdict Podcast. Charlie, I know you do an excellent job, not just on this
2: show, but through TPUSA. You can also leave a five-star a review for us and
0: and i would say actually i'd go further you should leave a five star review. Yeah, if you review want to leave
2: four stars just go do something else <laughs> you, right. you, you, you need to mow your lawn yeah. but 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 if you want to leave five we need you to do it and you know yeah. on youtube if you sign up and subscribe on youtube i guess you can click on the bell and you get click notified that bell,
0: you will find out when a new episode drops and we've got some pretty great episodes dropping that we've just shot over the last few days
1: a- a- absolutely and and
2: and we've got to fight for Amen. our
1: america Everybody, check out the Verdict podcast, type it in, subscribe. I never do this, but I hope that we can get them higher in the charts on Apple Podcasts. So we'll have a good one-two, a good jockeying position, right? You guys are the best. Thank you. uh, And you're both fighters for freedom and liberty and for America. God bless you guys. Thank you.
0: Well, thank you, Charlie. You too.
1: What a great conversation that was with Senator Ted Cruz and Michael Knowles. If you guys want to get involved with Turning Point USA, the nation's largest conservative student organization, fighting for freedom, liberty, American exceptionalism, and protecting our country from the radical left, go to tpusa.com. That is tpusa.com. Get engaged. Get involved. Start a chapter. Chip in some money if you can. It's tpusa.com, tpusa.com. Email us your questions, freedom at charliekirk.com. Please consider supporting our program. Uh, maybe $20 a month, $50 a month. Some people are giving $100 a month at charliekirk.com slash support. charliekirk.com slash support. That helps pay for our research team. It helps pay for costs associated to get deliver you 12 podcasts a week, sometimes even more, at charliekirk.com slash support and keeps us protected from leftist boycotts. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for listening. If you want a signed copy of the MAGA Doctrine, type in Charlie Kirk Show to your podcast provider. Hit subscribe. Give us a five-star review, screenshot it, and then email us freedom at charliekirk.com. Thank you for listening. Till next time, God bless.
2: We begin today's meditation with a few sipping exercises to remind us a little treat can go a long way. So pick
1: up your McCafe iced coffees, close your eyes, and deep sip in.